0: All right, good to be with you guys. Lord bless you. Let's read our text. Let's read Colossians chapter 4. We use the New American Standard Bible here. If you're using your phone, that's what you want, New American Standard Bible, or you can grab a Bible in front of you, with the seat back in front of you, take that home if you need it. We got a lot of verses to cover. At the time that I divided all this up, it seemed completely wise. Not so much this week. It's like, what was I thinking, man? Oh, sheesh. The hard part is what I had to leave off or leave out. Verse 2 of Colossians chapter (laughs) 4. Devote yourselves to prayer. Keeping alert in it, in prayer, with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Jesus Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned. That I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. As to all my affairs, uh, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who was one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, or John Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who was called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who was one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always, I just love this, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. There's many in this, this church that do the very same thing. For I testify, verse 13 says, for I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are at Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. I think it's fascinating that those two are in the same verse. I'll unpack that later. Greet the brethren who are at Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And and, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it good word for all of us i paul write this greeting with my own hand remember my imprisonment grace be with you church paul is closing this letter in the same way that he began it with a call and a devotion to prayer that's how he's closing this letter he opens up saying i pray for you always and he's saying you always should pray with that let's pray Almighty God, we are so grateful for your word, grateful that we can sit under your teaching and learn from you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would penetrate our hearts with pinpoint accuracy, the things that we need to hear from you, not from me, not from one another, but from you in this moment. We give you all the praise and glory. Do your name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. For many of us, perhaps, the discipline of prayer is like the national anthem before a football game. On some level, it's what gets the game started, but simply has no connection with what's happening on the field. It's merely a courtesy. Hmm. Isaiah twenty-nine, verse thirteen, Jesus speaks, or the Lord speaks against us. He says, This this people, my people, draw near with their words, and they honor me with their lip service. But they remove their hearts far from me. And their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote or by men. Hmm. Let's read verses two, three, and four. We're going to start off with those verses first. Colossians chapter four. Let's do verses two, three, and four, okay? Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the words that we may speak forth the mystery of Jesus Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. That's crazy. Be devoted to prayer. Pray for me so I can do the thing that just actually got me in prison. I'd imagine that that I'd be requesting prayer as well. Hmm. Check this out. The concept of prayer is closely related... To a sheepdog. The sheepdog, who helps the shepherd or the farmer to round up the sheep, is always trained to come to the master's feet. Sheepdogs are some of the most trained dogs in the world. Oh, I hope we are too. They learn to round up sheep and keep them in the fold, box them in, and corner them as well. Then the dogs come right back to the master's feet. A sheepdog would always pray. That is, he would always find himself at the master's feet, ready for the next instruction. That's prayer. Prayer is that abiding relationship where believers stay at the master's feet. Lord, help us. Check this out. James said this in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, this is you. This is us. Is anyone among you suffering? That's one extreme, isn't it? And then he says right after that, then he must pray. And on the other extreme, he says, is anyone cheerful? That's the other end. And it says, he must pray. He is to sing praises. Whether you're suffering or whether you're cheerful, we're to pray. Is not this passage out of James chapter 5, is this not a perfect representation of life? From suffering to elation. Whether we're cheerful or suffering, we are to be people of prayer. Can I get an amen? Yeah, you bet. Church, we must always find ourselves at the master's feet. We must always find ourselves somehow, some way at the master's feet. So here's a revealing question. <laughs> It'll be on the screens, I believe. Are you constantly at the master's feet or is the master occasionally placed at your feet? Where you say, hey, master, I got a few things I need to run by you. Okay, you can go. It's kind of a profound question, isn't it? Are we constantly at the master's feet, or do we occasionally put him at our feet? For many of us, prayer is like AAA. It's there if you need it, but you don't plan to use it very much unless, of course, it's what? An emergency. I was watching the tragedy, just very few, uh, very little footage of the tragedy of those that shooting, and, and there's police going everywhere, and, and people are praying. You know, some of these students are praying, and I think that's fantastic, but I wondered if they prayed before they went there, in the, in the week before they went there, in the week before that, and I wonder if they'll pray over the next couple weeks and months and years ahead. I just thought it was interesting. I'm glad they were praying. Don't get me wrong, and I'm, a, and I'm sure many of you prayed for them. See, then when it says here in verse 2, devote yourselves, check out this word, Devote. Devote means to persevere devotedly. (laughs) Constancy, diligence, persistence, does that describe your prayer life? Do you persevere in prayer devotedly? Is there a constancy to your prayer life? Are you diligent and persistent in your prayer? Hmm. That's what that word means when Paul says devote yourselves to prayer. Notice that Paul says devote yourselves to prayer. He doesn't say, devote somebody to pray. Right? Like, hey, go get yourself a prayer team. Make sure you're covered. Assign them a, things, a bunch of things they need to pray for. For you, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Where are you and I on the devotion to prayer continuum? Zero's bad. Ten's good. Where are you at from zero to 10 on the devotion to prayer continuum? Are you a three? Are you a seven? Are you a nine? Where are you and I at on that continuum of being devoted to prayer? And therefore, what is one or two practical things that you can start today, that you can start today to move you to the next number? If you're a three, what, do you, what can you do to become a four? If you're a seven, what can you do to become an eight? And if you're a nine, what can you do to become a 10? Let me give you just a couple of suggestions. The first suggestion, I do this, Michael will tell you. Make an appointment with God. Make an appointment. We all have smartphones, right? Every day when I come to the office, I schedule out my day to the half hour. I got every, every, and I schedule. Michael actually asked me that. He's like, do you how often, you know, and I make an appointment with God. It's like a formal appointment. And I have this half hour blocked off, and I go somewhere in the building, and, and I have my appointment with God. That's one suggestion. Make an appointment. Make an appointment with God. He has time. He'll pencil you in. The second suggestion is let the Lord hang out with you. So do something formal and then do something informal. Let God hang out with you. Well, What do I mean by that? Hey, look, I, I, a while back I thought, you know, instead of talking to myself, which looks odd, not to me, but to others, I thought I'll talk to God. I'm going to let God hang out with me. And so as something funny would happen, i say, oh, God, that's so funny. Like, I'm, I'm hanging out with God. I, I heard this from my wife years ago. It's like we call those popcorn prayers, right? You just kind of pop, 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 pop. Like, throughout the day, just let popcorn pop. Do some popcorn prayers. You have your appointment with God, and then you just let God hang out with you. Let him hang out with you in your car. Let him hang out with you at work. Let him hang out with you in your hobbies. And just, like, converse with him about anything and everything. Those are just a few suggestions to help you be devoted to prayer. Let the Lord hang out with you. He wants to. Let's look at three elements here. Three elements that Paul points out to in these verses. Verses 2, 3, and 4. Three elements. They're not on the screen. If you want to write them down, the first element about prayer, he, he says, keep alert in it. That's the first element. Keep alert. That's what he says, right? In verse 2, keep alert in prayer. The second element is do so with an attitude of what? Thanksgiving, that's the second element of being devoted to prayer. Be alert in it and then do it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And the third comes in verse 3 when he says, be devoted to prayer, praying at the same time for us as well, right? So keep alert, have an attitude of thanksgiving, and pray for other people. That's what Paul says. Be devoted to prayer, pray for us. Those are the three elements. Let's break those down now. First one, keeping alert in it. The ESV and the NIV say being watchful in it. I like that being watchful. What's going on? What's going on? We, of all people, should be on our game because their spiritual warfare is real. There's a real enemy. There's real darkness and real light, as we often see on TV. You can't get a break from it anymore. Prayer is not simply a spiritual discipline to make us feel better or to make God feel better. It helps us to navigate our way through this complicated thing called life. Life's hard, isn't it? Some of us have had hard days, hard weeks, hard months, hard years, maybe a hard decade, maybe a, maybe a hard life. And so it helps us to be watchful, to be alert, to navigate our way through life. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, Paul says similarly, he says, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. I love this, act like men, be strong. Serious business, this thing called prayer. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, this thing called life, right? Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Why? Your adversary of the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Oh, I hope that ain't me. And if he comes after me, I hope I'm prepared. Go to, chap, uh, to Mark chapter 1. Go to the book of Mark. Greatest book in the Bible. Uh, Mark chapter 1. My name is Mark, by the way. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I asked somebody that one time. They're like, oh, I don't know. What is that? What is that? And I'm like, oh, no, I man! you're totally missing the joke. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Mark chapter 1. Starting at Verse 32. When evening had come, after the sun had set, they began bringing to Jesus all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. Okay, that's a good thing. And the whole city, I still am fascinated by what this means, right? The whole city had gathered at the door. That's either a very large door or a very small city. But either way, you get the point, right? And he healed many who were ill with various diseases. And he cast out demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And then early, in in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Jesus had an appointment, and he had to get up early. Simon, verse 36, and his companions, they searched for him. And I think they're a little bit ticked off at Jesus. And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. Is it bad that everyone's looking for Jesus? It's fantastic that everyone's looking for Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? Dude, I'm praying, man. I'm praying. Get out of here. It's interesting, right? Is that mean, Jesus? Oh, Jesus is mean. People are looking for him, and he's praying as he should be, because it's that important if Jesus made an appointment to pray, if Jesus is putting people off to pray, it must be important. All right. One commentary says this. I love it. Prayer is not a spiritual luxury. It's essential for our growth. Okay? So that was the first first element that we talked about of being devoted to prayer. The first element was we're to keep alert. In prayer. The second one was we're to do it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Okay, so ponder this. i got to go back to Colossians before I forget where I'm at. Ponder, Ponder this for just a second. For just a second, ponder this. When we pray, we take some sort of attitude with us in our posture of prayer. We do. When we pray, we take some sort of posture or attitude with us when we pray. What might be your prevailing posture in prayer? Here's just a couple of them. Is it your love for the Lord? That's one of them. That's that's fantastic. Is it your obedience in the Lord? That's, That's fantastic. It may be that you're wanting to discuss your needs or wants from the Lord. Okay. And for some, or sometimes, maybe you want to express your disappointment in life. And perhaps your disappointment in the Lord. But our posture, our attitude in prayer is to be one of thanksgiving. There's lots of postures we can have. But the posture we must have before the Almighty God is a posture of gratitude when we pray. C.S. Lewis says this. I think this is fantastic. He says, prayer is request. The essence of request as distinct from compulsion is that it may or may not be granted. And if an infinitely wise being listens to the requests of finite and foolish creatures, that's us. Of course, he will sometimes grant and sometimes refuse them. That by itself is a reason to be thankful when you go to pray. God, thank you that you are an, an amazing, uh, what is it, infinite being? Is that what I said? Is that the, is that the quote? Right? Infinitely wise being. And I recognize that I am not. And so I thank you that in my prayer that you will grant in your wisdom good things and not grant bad things for me. Just that by itself is something to be thankful for. Hmm. Philippians 4, 6 says, and it ties in with what C.S. Lewis, just uh, what we just saw his quote, be anxious for nothing. That allows us to be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Boy, this is such an amazing verse and so difficult to carry out. God help us. Being thankful places us in the appropriate and suitable attitude before the Lord. Let me say that again. Being thankful places us in the appropriate and suitable attitude before the Lord. Let me explain. Look at Romans 1.21. Romans 1.21 says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. One of the realities of a posture towards God is a posture of gratitude and thanksgiving. Even though they knew God, they didn't honor him and they didn't give thanks to him. That's our necessary posture before the Lord. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. If we in our prayer posture aren't going to the Lord with thankful and grateful hearts, I wonder why we wonder why he might not be answering our prayers. Our third element of being devoted to prayer is praying at the same time for other people. Paul says praying at the same time for us as well, right? So we have the three elements. Be alert, have an attitude of thanksgiving, and pray for others. Paul says praying at the same time for us as well. Church, we're to pray with thankfulness and with thoughtfulness. We're to pray with thankfulness and thoughtfulness. Thankfulness to the Lord and thoughtfulness for others. Thankfulness to God and thoughtfulness for others. Thoughtfulness, not just for Paul and his partners that are witnessing and sharing the gospel, but also for those hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying to be praying for as well. Us as we proclaim and those as they hear. Perhaps one lesson in all this for us that is this, is that when we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, we pray that the Lord use whatever we might be praying about to open up for them a door for the word so that they may speak forth the mystery of Christ. I don't know if that makes sense. Let me me explain. Look at verse 3. He says, praying at the same time for us that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. So he's saying, pray for me, And so the prayer would be something like this. Oh, Lord, we pray for our brother Paul. He's in prison, and I'm sure that's hard. But, Lord, we pray that you would use that to open up doors. And so when we pray for people, don't just pray for them, that situation. Just say, Lord, and use that to open up doors in their lives. Isn't that fantastic? And so we can pray for others, whatever they're going through, and that God would use that to open up doors for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. Let's look at verse 4. He says, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Why doesn't he just say that I may make it clear in the way I speak? Wouldn't that be suffice? That I may make it clear in the way I speak. No, he says that I ought to speak. See, ought to equals obligated to. Ought to is the same thing as obligated to. That I may make it clear the gospel message in the way that I'm obligated to speak it. Hmm, that's very different. Yes, be devoted to prayer, verse two, for sure. And at the same time, this is what verse three says at the same time, pray for the declaration of God's word into the community that we're in, into the communities that you're in. Be devoted to prayer. But pray that God's word would go out in your lives and into the life of this community because of this church and because of other churches. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Go to the right. Um, Oh, it's actually the next book. I thought it was further. They moved it on me. That worked out really well for me, by the way. I'm like, oh, where is Thessalonians? It's got to be somewhere back here. Oh, it's the next book. I always forget. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. Verse 16. There shouldn't be much confusion here. Rejoice always. Verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Be devoted to prayer. Verse 18. In everything, give thanks. (laughs) Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So often we struggle. I just want to know God's will for my life. These verses help to answer at least on some part part of that curiosity. What's God's will for my life? Well, it says here, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I know that's part of God's will. <laughs> wow. Verses five and six. We're going to get through this. You're going to watch how fast we're going to go from here. Bam. Verses 5 and 6, back in Colossians. Let's read that. Verses 5 and 6. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Once again... I love this about Paul. Once again, Paul's not afraid to be distinct and demanding in his communication. Paul, don't mess around. Right after saying in verse 2, devote yourselves, he says in verse 5, conduct yourselves. Why don't I being devoted to something? But do I have to conduct myself a certain way too? Yes. Devote yourselves, verse 2, and he says conduct yourselves, verse 5. Oh, okay. Imagine Christ himself... Shows up to your workplace, shows up to your house, and he sits across the table from you. And you know that you're going to have a talk. You may not be looking forward to that talk, but you know you're having a talk. And after spending some time <laughs> getting to know one another, which I think is interesting, I wonder what he'd ask me. Like, you, said, you know, he asks you something, you tell him, he goes, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> like, hey, he's so smart. And he asks you, after you get to know one another, the following question. So tell me, what have you devoted yourself to? And tell me about how you conduct yourself. Just based on these verses. Paul says, devote yourselves and conduct yourself. And Jesus says, tell me, what have you devoted yourself to? And how are you conducting yourself? And you say to Jesus, cup of coffee? Thank you. Yeah, it's a great question. What have we devoted ourselves to? How are we conducting ourselves? And it's a wonderful transition, I think, verses five and six coming off of two, three, and four. Paul says in two, three, and four, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. At the same time, pray for us to be effective to those outside the faith, right? That's what he says. And then in five and six, he says, he implies basically that they're to pray for themselves so that they can conduct their lives with wisdom towards outsiders. That's what he's saying, Devote yourselves to prayer, pray for us, pray for those we're witnessing to, and then do the same thing. That's going to require prayer, for us to be effective in how our lives preach to other people. Look at how Paul challenges us in regards to our conduct with those outside the faith. Let's look in these verses, how Paul challenges us to conduct ourselves with those outside of the Christian faith. He says, first, conduct yourselves with wisdom. Verse 5 says, conduct yourselves with wisdom. The second thing is he says, making the most of the opportunity. We're to make the most of the opportunity. And then he says in verse 6, to let your speech always be with grace. Okay? So if we've put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, this is how we're supposed to engage with the outside world. We're to conduct ourselves with wisdom. That comes in God's word, through the Holy Spirit. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, we're to make the most of the opportunity. Is this starting to get warm in here? And I mean that like in a joking way, right? When you look at this, and go, oh gosh! And let your speech always be with grace, and your fingers too. <laughs> right, but that's, that's like a joke, right? But like a real joke. And so you see this list, right? And I don't know about you, but seeing these three elements listed together causes me to take. A deep breath. Am I doing all three of these things based on these verses? Am I doing all three of these things? Am I doing any of these three things? We can see from this short list why there's a need to be devoted to prayer. You can see from this short list why there's a need to be devoted to prayer. Why Paul says pray for us as well. We need to pray. We need people praying for us so that we can be these three things to those outside the the faith of Jesus Christ that need to get back with God. Outside of the Lord's wisdom, how can we possibly do what the end of verse 6 says? How can we possibly know how to respond to each person outside of the wisdom of the Almighty God? That you are to be able to respond to each person outside of the wisdom of God and so if you throw some of these verses together two through six basically are we praying for the following are we praying for open doors that's in verse three are we praying for opportunities that's in verse five are we praying for wise conduct that's also in verse five are we praying for gracious speech in verse six for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ On your prayer list, are any of these things on your prayer list? Are you praying for people? Are you praying for opportunities? Are you praying for wise conduct? Are you praying for gracious speech? What's on your prayer list? Are any of these on your prayer list? I would encourage you to add them when you have time. Because I don't have uh, this book electronically, I was not going to type all the words from this example. And I'm a fast typer. I just wasn't going to do it. It's just too many. Check this out. During election time, so I think this is appropriate. <laughs> During election time, there are fierce battles waged to win the votes of Americans. Both Democrats, Democrats and Republicans blitz the media, attempting to get people to vote for their respective party. Spinmeisters and pundits alike do everything they can to let voters know where they stand. Signs, posters, bumper stickers, they serve to plaster candidate names in plain view of as many eyes as possible. Is this correct so far? Okay, whether in the barbershop or in the foyer of the church, the discussion is thick about the pros and cons of each person. There is a commitment to a party, to a man, and to a philosophy that is visible by the intent of efforts to persuade people to one side or the other. So far, so good, right? As important as the American political process is, it pales in comparison to the spiritual conflict in which we are engaged. Here there are two opposing positions, two opposing kingdoms. Christians are called to be unashamed of our representative, our spokesperson Jesus Christ. Your vote should be clear and there ought to be it uh, there should, ought not be any ambiguity over who has your vote. If you name the name of Jesus Christ, somebody else other than yourself ought to know it. We do that in politics. To a degree that we don't even come close to with the person of Jesus Christ. God has called each one of his children to be public spokespersons for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and for his kingdom with the goal of winning folks over. We should be definitive in our purpose of calling people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We call this evangelism or missions or being missional. Has your voice been heard? Is that amazingly challenging for us? One commentary says this. Completion or perfection in Christ includes not only one's private or prayer life, but also one's public life. 1 Peter 3, verse 15 It says, we're to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet seasoned with salt, right? With gentleness and reverence. And so I wonder how far we have drifted in the last 2,000 years since these words were penned by Paul, of Paul's expectation that we represent Christ to outsiders. How far have we drifted, church? I, I fear too far. I fear too far. Hmm. We're to be missional, church. Church is to be missional. We're to be the missional. Let's read verses 7 through 18, and we're going to hit on a few things, and then we're going to close in prayer. The remaining verses, starting at verse 7. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul, wow. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who was one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is known as Justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who was one of your own, a bondslave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are at Laodicea and Herapolis." Luke, the beloved physician, he sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greek, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha in the church that meets in her house. When this letter is read among you, then have it also read at the church of the Laodiceans and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. What I want you to hear, church, (laughs) we make a lot of Paul, as we should. Paul did an amazing work for the Lord. (laughs) But Paul had help. Paul had help. He had a lot of help. Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, John Mark, or Mark, Jesus, also known as Justice, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas, church, we, we make up the church. We make up the church. Right before church started, I was just sitting back in the chair back there in the tech booth, and I'm just listening and I'm watching people. Going, there's so much stuff going on right now. I have no no idea because I'm not involved. And it's fantastic. It's not my responsibility to do everything. It's our responsibility to do everything. Church, we're the church. Not the staff. We make up the church. This is a great church. We're to work together to advance the mission of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. I'd help. It wasn't a Lone Ranger. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Is that how the saying goes? I'm like, yeah, that's true. Poor Tonto. Of these men that I just listed, one was a rebellious runaway slave. That was Onesimus. One bailed on Paul during his first missionary journey. Do you know who that was? That was Mark, who also happened, by the way, to write the book of Mark. And yet he bailed on Paul, but he got better. One bailed on the faith altogether. That was the person of Demas. If you want to look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, you can do that, where he left the faith. And I think it's interesting that Demas is listed with Luke. In verse 14, I think it was, that you have this stout physician and then this guy who abandoned his faith. And they're just listed in the same line. That's just the church. It's like Luke, Demas, Luke, stud, Demas, he split. This Luke, he wrote about one-third of the New Testament. It's actually a kind of a trick question, right? They like say, who wrote most of the New Testament? People say Paul. Well, Paul wrote 13 letters, but Luke wrote more content between the book of Acts and the book of Luke actually more content, more words, if you will. Of their descriptions of these men listed, some of their descriptions are this. This is you, right? This is the church. Beloved brother, Paul says. These are some of the descriptions. Beloved brother, faithful servant, fellow bond servant, encouragers, fellow prisoner, fellow workers, bond slave, laborer, prayerful, and deeply concerned. All these people that Paul lists as he closes off his letter, Paul had help. And they did things to propel the church forward, to to minister to other people, just like many of you do. I thank you. We thank you. The Lord thanks you. Church, we collectively are to be on mission, collectively. Amen? And in order to do that, (laughs) we must be devoted to prayer. And we must conduct ourselves with wisdom toward those that are outside the faith.